0: So welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast radio, and this is a special segment called the Cannabis Capitalism. I'm Karen Rands, your host, and of course my guest today is going to be Darshan Kendrick. I am going to uh, lay the stage out a little bit about what we're going to be talking about, and then I'll bring Darshan on. So the reason why I started doing the Cannabis Capitalism as part of the Compassionate Capitalist podcast series is because, you know, of course, the purpose of this, this show is to educate entrepreneurs and investors on best practices for creating wealth through funding innovation in entrepreneurism. Angel investors invest in the, in the entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs have successful companies with exits, and they both benefit from that. And I realized that as I had written the book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, that there was still a large number like literally millions of people that have the ability to be angel investors that still do not have never even heard of angel investing. And it's not even something in their vocabulary for them to look for the information on to learn how they can create wealth by investing in entrepreneurs. So I looked at some of the trends and the things that were happening out there. And of course, I cover topics like Bitcoin and esports and things like that on, on my show. But when I started to dig into cannabis, I said, you know what this is almost as if you were at the threshold of the you know the great manufacturing automa- automation sh- shift in industry like when we were inventing cars for example we had a whole ecosystem of of gasoline stations and repair stations and manufacturing and core materials and design and communications and marketing and everything that's part of an ecosystem of a type of a product or something like that, and that's where we are with cannabis. It just happens to be it's very fragmented because it's illegal at a federal level you know so far we're, our Congress is working on on changing that at le- at the very least for research purposes and it's um and and every state is is very different and of course, I live in Georgia darshan is uh, an expert on on uh raising capital, legal issues, uh, and on cannabis as well, which we'll, you'll learn more about. And she's also a member of our Georgia Congress. And so I thought, who else can talk to us about what is going on and what people need to be aware of, what they need to avoid, what they need to embrace, what they need to take action on when it comes to the economic opportunity in Georgia as it relates to cannabis? And so as we get ready to get started, let me just give you a little background on, on what, you know, where, where we are in Georgia and kind of what, where things have been. And this is not to, you know, not to go into the whole history of how can, cannabis and marijuana became illegal at a federal level, because it's a, a whole nother conversation that I have had with many people on prior podcasts, go find those. Uh, but so, you know, when you look back, um, it was something that when we had the great ju- drug wars, leading into, there was, there's been this split in our country for a long time on the medicinal value of it that was a lot of, that was supported by research and, and science, and then there's the, the um, fear of uncertainty and doubt that had been put out there as part of a political campaign on the, on the war on drugs, and uh, so a bunch of social economic things, uh, aspects of, of that, particularly during the Nixon administration, and so what you had was, you know, and Georgia's been known for a long time for bootleg, and even though we're sort of the buckle of the Bible Belt, we've got all kinds of, you know, so things that have that we've done in in, and we still do in our society that, you know, those that um, are not as tolerant are tried to legislate against, and so what ended up happening was back in 1983, even though in 1980. A forty, a fifty to zero Senate vote and a hundred and fifty six to eight House vote passed Mona Taft's bill supporting legal medical marijuana in Georgia for people diagnosed with glaucoma and cancer patients undergoing chemotherapy and radiation. Members from both parties came together to support Taft, including then the state senator Paul Brown. And according to February in nineteen eighty, according to a Knight Ritter wire report about the bill, Brown even hugged Taft when the legislation passed. The bill's sponsor, Rep. Verilynn Smith, Republican out of Fairburn, even told the widow that he'd recently given a constituent taking chemotherapy a recipe for marijuana-laced chocolate chip cookies. Georgia's program had effectively ended without ever supplying a single patient with medical marijuana promised. It just sat in, in, on the books because the, the governors, the Georgia governors had the authority to reappoint the board but never acted on it. And so, as a result, the law had lingered on the books for the last thirty years, and then in 1983, um, against this, this big war on drugs, the DEA came in with your aerial spraying of of up in the Chattahoochee National Forest, uh, this of paraquat, which is a highly lethal chemical. I guess kills plants, kind of a thing citizens and congressmen objective noting the dangers and all this other kind of stuff and they they it just basically didn't nothing ever came of it it just did it and we suffered the consequences from it fast forward to 2015 and there there was the haley's hope act hb1 was passed april of 2015 and it has to do i'm going to let uh uh, Darshan takes gets through sort of the nuances of that and kind of how we've, we've added to it. But the biggest challenge that we had within the, the medical legalization is that you really couldn't get it. You know what I mean? There wasn't a process for, for processing, distributing, and delivering to the patients that needed it for treatment. We, we kind of created this thing, oh, sure, we'll approve it. But then we didn't really make it legal for them to actually get it. So it was like a broken law, you know. But what's happened at the municipal level is that starting in October in uh, like really all through 2016, Clarkston was the first one that decriminalized it. Then you had uh, Atlanta did it in 2017, a 15 to zero to reduce the penalty of up to one ounce of cannabis to just a, a $75 fine, no jail time. Then you had Savannah do it in 2018, eight to one, right? Then you had South Fulton, 2018, Forest Park, 2018, Kingsland, Statesboro, also 2018, Macon and Shambly in 2019, where they decriminalized it at the local level. And that's because people recognizing how it has the the criminalization of marijuana possession has has impacted so many for a nonviolent um, act has has impacted and and destroyed so many communities particularly um, with immigrants and people of color and so it's um it's really we are on the prep we're on the threshold within georgia of some great things happening we've recently we're going to talk about the hemp legalization and what does this mean for entrepreneurs because it, it, with great opportunity also comes great risk. And so it's really important for entrepreneurs and investors to understand what, how to participate in the opportunities um, that are presented here and get in sort of on the ground floor, so to speak, but also what to be aware of when you're making those decisions to take the risk of time and money into some of these entrepreneur endeavors. Okay, and so with that, let me tell you a little bit about Darshan, so she's a native. You don't find a lot of natives out of Georgia. She's actually born in Atlanta, and she had. We'll talk. we we'll, We're hoping to do another segment at some point in time. We'll talk more about her entrepreneurial parents, but she'll. She'll put, might tell us a little bit about that. So the thing is that she got a. She has her BA in communications and political science. She got her law degree from the University of Georgia in Athens. She has her MBA from the from Kennesaw State University with honors. She also ho- holds the Series sixty five license holder, which allows her to be this investment advisor for entrepreneurs and in, and investors in the state of Georgia. Uh, and she's a FINRA arbitrator. And FINRA, if you've listened to some of my other podcasts, you'll know that FINRA is the organization that regulates. Uh, Broker dealers. It's a quasi-government organization that has the authority to investigate and regulate broker dealers, and so she—they don't really have a system of checks and balances on that. And a lot of so it's so it's the fact that she's an arbitrator means that she is helping broker dealers defend themselves against Finra um, judgments or Finra actions and things like that, and negotiate those pleas. I'm, I'm she'll correct me if I'm wrong on that, but. And so she's been the member of the Georgia House of Representatives since 2011. So during all of this time that we've had this debate on what should Georgia do when it comes to giving people a legal treatment that there really is no other solution for them in some of their ailments and what they're going through with their um, diseases. Um, but she's, you know, so that's um, really going to be fascinating to hear from that. And then also, she's also a Winner of the 40 Under 40 from the Atlanta Business Chronicle, which I had the, well, if you're looking at the pictures that are on the podcast, you'll see that picture is from that event. And so it was really great to hear all the other things that she's involved in with the Boy Scouts and her sorority, AKA. So with that, now that I've uh, inter- I've set the stage here, welcome to the show, Darshan. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for, uh, for having me on this. Um, Otherwise,
1: um, a little warmer than usual Georgia weather.
0: So (laughs) thanks for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. So let's get started with you sharing your journey. So you came from Entrepreneur Parents, but where you are now as this really a powerhouse within the state of Georgia and Atlanta when it comes to uh, minority rights, entrepreneurism, and of course, this cannabis all this cannabis activity that's going on in Georgia. So, talk, uh, talk, tell our listeners about your journey to where you are now.
1: Yeah. So, like you stated, I'm a native of Georgia, and I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. My mom had an in-home daycare, and my dad still um, has been um, a subcontractor doing um, towel and model installation for longer than I've been alive, which is almost uh, 40 years. So, um, so I grew up. Um, knowing sort of the struggles, particularly the struggles with female founders and with minority founders, um, and particularly their struggle with access to capital, and uh, and so I knew I wanted to be uh, a lawyer. Um, I thought I wanted to be a civil rights lawyer, and then I um, uh, like so many American Americans accumulated a good amount of student loan debt, and civil rights was not going to pay bills, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so I ended up being a, a litigator for two years, but then when I started my own firm, I really wanted to focus on something that I can get up and be excited for every day, and that was um, particularly um, corporate and business law. And then I got extremely interested in just the securities regulations world and how capital markets world work. And um, and and as you stated, I sought out to get every certification and degree in the business world uh, that is humanly possible, uh, apparently. And, um, and so I like to love the work that I do, and I'm here to continue to concentrate on making sure that everyone has access to capital markets, both on the capital raising space and in, with as it pertains to investment strategies particularly um, for minority and female-owned founders. So that is uh, sort of my, my uh,
0: journey in a, in a small nutshell. Okay. So let's talk about this legislative process. I mean, we're we're living in uh, a fairly uh divided partisan nation right now. Did did how long did it take for it or, and what kind of negotiations happened in order to get Haley's law on the books and how was did you do, there was a lot of reaching across the aisle to to get folks to understand the the value of this to the patients that needed this kind of treatment?
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, I don't want to give your viewers an impression that I am um, as, as powerful as maybe others think I am. Um, <laughs> so I'm not in the majority, and at the time I wasn't in leadership. So all I can tell you is sort of what happened in the committee, because it did come through my Judiciary and Civil um, Criminal Law Committee. Uh, so we started out with a big list of ailments that were going to be covered under. Um, um the hope act and um and it eventually narrowed down to i think it's something like 17 now we might have started with like 22 or something um but there was a few strong voices on the committee um not me but other strong voices that had wanted this this law uh for ailments uh to be treated by medical marijuana to be as narrow as possible um they will they didn't want it in the first place but if this was going to happen they wanted to be as narrow as possible so if you actually read the language of the beetle um you have to not only is it limited to a list of 17 ailments but you'll notice in the language of each one of the ailments that you have to have exhausted all other remedies in order to be able to to be um not prescribed because doctors aren't allowed to prescribe marijuana but uh, to get a suggestion from a doctor. In order for you to be able to get medical uh, medical marijuana, you, it has to be chronic. It has to be sort of untreatable. Um, so I don't want people to think that because they have one of the ailments that is listed, they can automatically get a medical marijuana card. It has to be untreatable with other um, types of treatments, and it has to be chronic. I mean, almost near death. Um, oh, so boy. it's very, very okay. narrow. Yes, it's very narrowly tailored. Um, and so when people say, you know, we passed this reform, um, I think people think it is more broad than it actually is. Um, and that was definitely because of the voices, the more conservative people, um, who did not want medical marijuana to get anywhere near near recreational and just did not believe in its properties to help ailment. So that was the compromise.
0: Well, and also it... Is just um, a, a is it just CBD or is it actual? It has some traces of THC in it. It's an oil, but not the flower. And there's a little bit of a, there's difference in that when it comes to what a lot of people think as um, medical marijuana. So it's really a derivative of what what you might see in other places that have legalized medical marijuana. You can talk about the nuances of of what. It includes or what's allowed versus what common perception might be. Um, yeah, so
1: um, the differences between uh, so so when we talk about cannabis, we're talking about the species of plant, and so there's two types. There's one um, that is marijuana that has all the bad stuff that you talk about, you know, which is cheap with marijuana, um, and then there is um, um, hemp that, uh, of course, is the legal version um, that has less than 0.3 THC in it. Um, so, so when we're talking about the marijuana um, portion of it, um, really what we're talking about is um, a type of oil um, that has very low traces of THC in it. Um, and the way that you get hemp and the way that you get marijuana is a whole complicated process that I'm not qualified to talk to. But there's uh, the, the, the way that you get hemp and the way that you get marijuana and, and CBD oil and all these things we're talking about is the way that you process it. And uh, I'm not an expert on it, so I'm not even going to try to explain it. But the point is, is what we're talking about under Georgia law is the, it's the actual oil. We're not talking about the plant. You know, we're not talking about it, putting it in a, sort of a vaping, smoking uh, uh, where you can smoke it, we're, we're talking about the actual oil. And I mean, we're only talking about the oil with low THC levels, and we're only talking about it in small doses. So right. I think some people so, think we just have like stacks of you know uh, CBD oil somewhere, um, and um, and you know in order in order for you to get it, it does have to be uh, under under a certain amount if you're talking about the the one that requires the license.
0: Right. So there's like a uh... I see that it's, uh, I guess hemp is under 3% and then the medical cannabis oil is up to 5% of TAC is what was passed. And I've, and I've heard from people that have had sought prescriptions of this, it's really kind of like a, a law, almost like taking a, a vitamin E pill or something like that. It's like it, usually administered in a, in a gel capsule. Is that, that right? And I, or tinctures where it could be a liquid that's added to a drink or something.
1: Yeah. And again, I, I don't know all the scientific, you know, uh, sort of derivatives of the cannabis plant. Um, okay. All I can tell you is that the port that we're talking about in the law is
0: the uh,
1: low traces of THC um, oil version of the cannabis plant.
0: So in um, April, the legislation was finally approved. I guess it's House Bill 324, which is, would be where you'd, Worked on that, I would guess, maybe allow and that allowed for in-state cultivation and the sale of the low THC oil, but they still have to put a board in or something else to go along with it So, talk about where we are right now. Here we are at the end of 2019. What what have we progressed? And things are finalized, or it's still sort of being figured out. Yeah, the board, uh, the commission under
1: under 3, 324, a commission was supposed to be appointed the Georgia Medical Cannabis Commission, or some acronym. Um, they were supposed to be appointed in July, then there was a court they were going to be appointed in September. Uh, as of like two or three weeks ago, they just got appointed. Um, and um, anybody who knows anything about the growing season knows that uh, because they've been appointed so late, it's, it's a several member board, but because they've been appointed so late and, it's late and they still have to meet and talk about rules and regulations and we're coming up with the holidays, uh, the growing season is, you know, going to start in March, um, so I'm not sure if they are going to be able to come up with the regulations, go through the process, award six licenses by the springtime, um, but that's where we are uh, right now. So the board has officially, or commission officially has been appointed by the speaker, the governor, and the lieutenant governor, so we just have to get
0: to work. Yeah. So what does the Farm Bill Act um for hemp? How does that impact this? Because that's that's been approved for industrial use or stuff, right? For for other things besides um medicinal the Farm Bill Act, is that true? Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so the
1: um the the hemp bill um is just a Georgia version of the uh uh, I want to say it's called the Farm Bill um, sure. that Congress has. And um, so it's just the Georgia version of giving up, giving um, sort of procedures for how Georgia is going to grow hemp. And uh, and I am not sure if the Department of uh, Agriculture, uh, Federal Department of Agriculture, has approved our regulations yet. We were supposed to submit something, they're going to take a look at it, and then they're going to give us approval to, to grow hemp. Um, and obviously hemp is legal on the federal level and the state level. So there are a lot more opportunities, a lot more ease with, um, with the hemp side of things.
0: Okay. So it's, so, so as far as what's getting enacted with this commission for medical cannabis, it's, it's, they're they're running in separate lanes from what's happening with hemp. Yeah. Yeah, totally separate one okay all right so now let's let's switch over to the making money side of this given where it is now there's a licensing aspect before you can be um, in business uh, doing any aspect of the supply chain of this this legal cannabis oil there's licenses and every state's kind of done it differently some will do um, you know, grower license and processor license and distribution license and things like that. And some like Florida did uh, up, like a up and down the, the uh, silo, right? So you get one giant expensive license that allows you to do the, uh, the whole thing and then you kind of subcontract that out. What, how is Georgia looking at licensing this stuff?
1: Um, so I don't tell you is sort of what's in the bill because the commission has just gotten appointed. I can't tell you in you know any more detail besides what's in the deal because the commission comes up with the specific rules. But there are going to be six licenses, um, two tiers of licenses. Um, there are sort of a, a 13 or 14 step RFP process that has been outlined in the deal as far as what the commission is going to be looking at in order to determine. Um, who's going to be awarded the licenses. There's some minority contracting provisions that um, were written to the field as well. Um, so um, until the commission sort of comes out with some regulations, we are um, pretty much stuck with that bare bones basis of how the licensing process is going to work.
0: Are they taking input from outside the commission? Because I, I, I remember the article when the commission came out and it seems like it was a very diverse audience of people that were part of that commission from different walks of life, so to speak, you know, to influence it. But they, are they also taking community input on this and looking at other, what, what's worked in other states and what hasn't worked in other states? Or is it really just kind of all up to the commission to, to come up with this?
1: Um, I am not sure. They, again, they just got appointed and they haven't sort of put out anything. So I would imagine they would look at other states. Um, But as far as like taking public comment, I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. Well, this would
0: actually be a really good time. So I'm assuming though, because you're, you know, you, you're in the midst of this, you have this information on your website. I want to tell everybody that, do can they opt in and get news flashes on this kind of stuff as you get more information? Do you send out newsletters on this?
1: Well, not specifically on this because my consulting law firm is broader than this. We just do general categories in in general. Um, but, if you know, anybody can follow me on social media. It's just Darsha and Kendrick. So I do post articles and things like that. And I do have an e-newsletter that might include some information, but it's broader. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I did in July, um, because there was a minority contracting piece, well, minority female-owned and veteran-owned contracting piece to HB324 to put the guarantee. Oh, right. So those three groups are involved in the supply chain and in the licensing. I did start uh, putting together an investment group, not an investment firm, but an investment group um, of people who are interested in pooling their funds together and providing a system to that companies that we're going to get into the space in Georgia. And so it's, it's a full board, it's fully formed. They've already came up with the investment protocols and procedures. Now that the commission has been appointed, I'll give them an update on that because I serve as their general counsel. Um, but for anybody who is interested in this space, particularly in the investment portion of it, um, I am having a, a call on January 16th with people who are just interested in starting investing groups in general. Doesn't have to be the cannabis space, it might be another space. But really, trying to use group economics as a way to generate wealth um, this coming this coming year, particularly in the cannabis space, because it's so new and um, and because it's it's growing so fast, um, and because hemp is, is legal, even if marijuana is not, if people are concerned about optics, hemp is very very legal, and so there are some opportunities to get into that and to invest um, with companies and hopefully realize a return um, later on down the line. So if anybody's interested in, in, in discussing that more, they can always go to www.kaag.co and, um, and sign up for that call to learn more about how investment opportunities, um, in this space and other spaces work.
0: Okay. So that's because, uh, just so everybody knows you mentioned about, um, uh, social media, and so if you're not reading the notes and you just heard about this and you're listening uh, to the show, Darshan is spelled D-A-R-S-H-U-N. In normal writing, there's a, an apostrophe after the R, but on social media, they don't do apostrophes. So just if you start to type that in, she'll pop up on on Twitter and LinkedIn and social media, I mean, and Facebook and any of those other kind of things. So you can... Followed. Probably Twitter is the most real time of any kind of progress on this. And then the website, again, because her firm is Kendrick Advisory and Advocacy Group. It's C O, And she's got her email up there and her phone number there. You can catch that. And then is it under, where would they sign up for that that call in here? Would it be under events? Because you have a tab for events.
1: Yeah. Yeah, just go uh, under events. There's also another link. Um, sort of
0: midway through the page, but if you go
1: under events, anytime I have an event coming up, um, I will put it under
0: events. Okay. Yep. Yep. I see it here. It's on, It's uh, January sixteenth. So, okay. Very good. So let's talk about that. uh, uh kind of lead in some some teasers about what you what you'll be talking about on your call, perhaps. So uh, you know, given ads new as it is, um. I often, and this is what I recommend people to do, and that's the way I like your group approach, this um, economics approach of it, is that it's really hard. It's hard enough in just regular entrepreneur when you're an investor to pick the winner, so to speak. right? But when you come together in and pool your funds, and you have the minds of a number of people to look and evaluate investment opportunities, And that bring their their diversity of experience and knowledge to the table. You you reduce the risk of of those investments because you know more minds you know coming together can make a better decision. In theory, I don't know. (laughs) We hope that's true. For (laughs) I laugh because of some of this stuff going on these days. But uh, so talk a little bit about your approach and what you think is something that is really um, a cautionary tale uh and and, and what a, if you have a recommendation or something that you personally are um intrigued by that you're sort of watch this space because you think this might be the area that bubbles up as the as the more secure opportunity within the cannabis marketplace of Georgia
1: yeah so um so, like you said before, you know, sort of the big benefits of group economics um, is that you not only are, are able to get diversity of opinion and, you know, so one of the things that I do with the investment group that I started, um, it's called the Georgia Minority um, Investment Collaborative, um, is we have essentially a vetting committee that vets companies that want us to hear their pitch and to invest with them and and so um and so we get the biggest and brightest minds from the group and they get the questions right and so we have people who are experienced in accounting Um, obviously with with my background it has a very unique particular background of asking questions and so you're able to get um a variety of opinions and, and make that uh and make that decision and then, obviously, the other benefit is that you are essentially able to crowdfund uh, your funds, even though it's not the a, a, a traditional investment firm where you are getting a, giving a certain amount and then somebody's managing your funds and, and essentially um, picking what investment for you to invest in. It has the same concept because you are. If 50 members in this group, and we're using those those numbers of 50 members in order to entice companies to come and pitch to us. So if they are coming and they need $25,000, um, they're more, much more likely to come and pitch to 50 people as opposed to pitch to someone who can only give them at the most $500. And so it's using the power of the crowd um, in order to be attractive to, to these investors. But um, it's particularly important, I think, um, in georgia um one because we have a new industry but two for the first time in the history of georgia we were able to put into a deal an actual minority contract it never happened in the history of georgia and so that's very very uh really really wow and yes and um and so there are a myriad of exciting opportunities because before there's sort of been a hope and a prayer that there would be minority participation, but nobody's been held accountable for it because it hasn't been actually written into the legislation. But now you have something that is statutorily getting written into the legislation. Um, and so there's an, a, a wonderful opportunity um, here because, because of that guarantee. Um, but, you know, the other thing is, for anybody who follows me on social media, you know that one of the things that I'm deeply concerned about is the continuing wealth gap in America, between the have and the have not, have not, but particularly um, uh, among African-Americans. Um, I mean, the statistics are just staggering the, 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 how fast the wealth gap is growing in America. And, uh, and so for me, sort of one of the missions and why my tagline is providing everyone access to capital markets. Um, is because I truly believe getting access to capital markets and knowing about capital markets and being able to strategically enter into this space is one of the ways to generate wealth um, for families and for Americans. Um, so for me, this is sort of a, a, not only is it an opportunity, but it furthers my, my uh, calling as a professional um, in making sure that people are, um, have access to participate in this market
0: very good okay so as we start to uh wrap up here uh what what additionals i mean that that sounds like a great i really encourage people to get on your call and i guess you'll probably also have that as a replay if for some reason people are listening to this after january um because it will be out there for you know ever (laughs) uh so you'll have that available on replay and people can go to your website to to learn more about it or Get in touch with you to to learn about that if it's after the the live broadcast.
1: Yeah, so um, so if anybody want to get wants to get in touch with me, of course they can always go uh, to my to my uh, my website and we have sort of uh, a certain amount of um, events that you can sign up for a consultation. Um, so we do consultations all the time. Obviously it is better to sign up sooner rather than later because once the legislative session starts, then, um, I have some other things that I need to do, but, but, um, you know, one of the things, um, that I'm very, very excited about is this industrial group call. Um, so for anybody who is interested, I will certainly sign up for that because that is going to be a good opportunity to talk about. Um, you know some some other things that I have in the um, in the pipeline as well that I think your listeners might be interested
0: in yeah so as well I'm excited that um, you know Atlanta, Georgia is taking a step forward within this space um, recognizing the need and the benefit that uh, the low THC, uh, cannabis oil provides to people that are having seizures, or suffering PTSD, or chronic pain, or you know just so many glaucoma and cancer treatments, so many things that it. Uh, I guess you know it was 17. I guess it's up to 19 now with the addition of PTSD and stuff. So there's um, there's a great opportunity in Georgia. I encourage folks to uh, listen to you know get plugged in. Um, you know, the irony of, of the kind of the evolution of, of marijuana and cannabis in Georgia is that Normal, which is a organization that lobbies for marijuana reform, uh, laws. They, they used to host a festival in Georgia at, at, uh, Piedmont Park in Atlanta every year through the nineties. And, um, you wouldn't know that it was illegal. Let me just say that at the time, you know, so it's interesting to see how, how things, um, how times shift and the political climate shifts. But I think that uh, we, Darshan would agree that the, this, this horse has left the barn, so to speak, that there will, I don't believe there will be any turning back the clock when it comes to the progress of providing a safe and, Um, legal way for people to deal with their chronic ailments with uh, with the treatment of a low THC, which for those that might be listening to this first time, THC is what gives you the head buzz. And so when it's low THC, it's without the head buzz. It's the medicinal aspect of it so that it, um, and I've, I've done many shows that talk about why and how it works with cannabinoids and those kind of things. So please go, I just did one uh, a couple weeks ago, so go back and listen to that to learn how it works on the scientific side. But it's, uh, I think, so it is a space to watch. It is only going to grow. There's only going to be good opportunities, but as long as it's still illegal at a federal level, and there's still the banking laws have not caught up. There are high risks when it comes to putting money into um, some of the some of this, particularly in the states where it's gone recreational. So so keep in, keep that in mind as you look at opportunities. Um, I would highly encourage you if you are looking at an investment opportunity, get the legal advice of somebody like a Darshan Kendrick who has been it's on the inside, on the legislative side of this, but also knows the law and knows the business side of it to be able to get advice on anything that you might be looking at and also to look at your securities documents. If there's somebody that's offering up security documents or if you're an entrepreneur that has been researching this and is looking at getting into it and you are going to go raise capital, then of course you need to talk to somebody that understands the nuances of raising capital when it comes to a cannabis um, company, or cannabis-based company. Uh, I did a, a segment not too long ago where I talked about looking at entrepreneur opportunities that touch the cannabis space but may not be directly in it. So there's lots of other opportunities when you see a whole industry get developed. There's ways that you can take what you do now and become an expert, a leading expert in applying it towards the cannabis industry going forward. And you can be a part of it. So, you know, it's a watch this space um, place. And so as we about to we re- wrap up here, I want to say, uh, Darjan, thank you very much for coming on the show. Will you come back sometime and talk specifically about women and minority entrepreneur opportunities and the challenges that they face as they enter into the marketplace and, and the opportunities that it gives them to leapfrog their circumstances, but also the challenges that they face as they go forward. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, if it
1: could be after the legislative session, and mm-hmm. that would be
0: great. Well, we'll look for you to help, to give me the dates that work for you. And, uh, and then we will get that scheduled and we'll announce it out to the audience. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in today and listening to this, uh, this special podcast. And I want to encourage you if you are an investor, if you're new to investing in general, please go and get my best selling book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing. You can get it out. You can get information about it in an excerpt on my website, uh, karenrands.co, K A R E N R A N B S dot co. And it's also available on Amazon. Just search my name. And I encourage folks that is the the foundation for the Compassionate Capitalist Movement where I'm teaching people how to create generational wealth through investing in entrepreneurs because the greatest source of wealth is being a successful entrepreneur. The next greatest source of wealth is being an investor in a successful entrepreneur. And so with that, I'll call this to a close and I want to tell everybody thank you for tuning in. Uh, Share this show and onwards and upwards.